So we're going to do something a little different here today, and if you're part of New Life, you know that's not all that unusual that we do something different, but we're going to have two preachers today, so we'll be here till about 12.30, just kidding. <laughs> Actually, we've only been five minutes over giving two preachers, that's pretty, pretty amazing. So if you're here for the very first time, as I said earlier, we're just so glad that you're with us, and if you've been here for a while, this message will probably have a little more application to you, only because we're going to talk again about what we talked about last week, and if you weren't here last week, didn't watch online, you may or may not know that I have a baton in my hand, because we're talking about, over these next two and a half years, um, Pastor Chris, that's me, is going to be passing the baton of leadership to Pastor Alex this guy right here, and we talked about that last week in the sense of Moses passing on the baton of leadership to Joshua, and uh, as I shared about that, we realized several things, and one of the most important things we realized is that we all pass a baton in life, whether we're young or old, someday we're going to pass a baton in life, and when we do, God is faithful to guide us through that process. So what we saw in Moses' life is that first he identified Joshua, and then God Uh, endorsed that, and eventually God filled uh, Joshua with the Holy Spirit just as he had Moses so that Joshua could continue to lead. Today, we're going to be looking at Barnabas, a man who was a seasoned and trusted member of the early church and how he reached out to a guy named Paul and brought him into the fold of the church family. And he did that even though he knew who Paul was before he was Paul, because before he was Paul, everyone knew him as Saul. And today we're going to be talking to him and we're going to mention him as Paul because that's how we know him now. But the early church would have more often recognized him as a guy named Saul because that's who he was. And Saul was known for going through the early church and persecuting it. He did not believe that Jesus had risen from the dead, and so he actively pursued destroying the early church. He would take people out of homes, out of churches. He would put them in jail. He would be there and okay people stoning the early Christians to death. That's who Paul was until he met Jesus. And one day as he was on the road, Jesus appeared to Paul and said, basically, what are you doing? Why are you persecuting me? And then he gave him a challenge, a call to go and share the good news of Jesus, his death and his resurrection to the Gentiles, people that were not of the Jewish faith. And then Paul would go and he would sit with blinded eyes because he was blinded when he saw Jesus, and he waited until God spoke to him again. And God spoke to him by a guy named Ananias. And Ananias was an early church member. He was across town, and he heard from God to go and talk to Paul. And you could probably imagine what Ananias was thinking. Like, really? God, that guy? You, do you know who that guy is? Because at this point, Ananias had not seen the transformation take place in Paul's life. He wasn't there on the road, but he listened to God, and he went, and he prayed over Paul, and like scales fell from Paul's eyes, and he could see. And then Ananias baptized Paul. And it's this amazing, powerful moment or series of moments that really kick-started off Paul's ministry with the early church and the work that he ended up doing that impacts us still today. So Alex, tell us briefly about how you came to faith in Jesus, because I know probably some people know, but a lot of people don't. Sure. Now, I wasn't like Paul. I wasn't going around persecuting the early church or even the modern church. That wasn't, that wasn't my story. However, I didn't 
attend church. I wasn't a believer in Jesus in my earliest days. My mom and my aunt took me to VBS when I was younger. Maybe that's the same story for some of you. And, and we, we did that, but then I didn't continue going to church. I remember one day I was on the bus. My friend Ted Raffle turned around and he looked at me and my twin brother Nick and said, why don't you guys come to my church tonight? We have a youth group. And I said, no, that sounds lame. What's a youth group? And he said, come on, like, it's going to be fun. We have free pizza. And I said, okay, I'll sign up. I'll go for free pizza. So me and my brother went and we brought our friend Sean along and we came, we ate pizza. And I thought, this is kind of lame. I don't want to go here. And so I went <laughs> home and I said, I'm not going to youth group anymore. But then they hired a new youth pastor named Jamie Kendrew. And I was told, you got to come back and meet Jamie. And I said, okay, I'll try it out. So I went there. But in my mind, I already had decided. I was going to go and be the class clown. I was going to go be distracting and, and, and really dishonoring to whoever that guy was. I probably wouldn't have put it that way. But for me, I thought, I'm going to go and be funny. And so I showed up. And I met Jamie. I had free pizza again. And he said, we're going to play this game. And it was probably a fun game that I really did internally want to play. But instead, I was pretending to be too cool for it. Like, I don't actually want to play that game. But really, I wanted to play and win. But I was like, you know what, I'm, I'm not even doing that. And then whenever Jamie talked, I made it a point to speak wherever I was sitting. And I know none of you would do this, but I was, I was talking so much that it was like loud enough that he could hear me talking, but not loud enough that he could understand what I was saying. Rude, awful. And Jamie, though, to his credit, didn't kick me out. He didn't kick me down the stairs. He didn't remove me for being a jerk. Instead, what he did was he started reaching out to me outside of youth group and inviting me to do stuff like playing video games. And I thought, okay, yeah, I like video games. Or, or come to a movie and see Lord of the Rings with me. And I thought, okay, I like Lord of the Rings, sure. And so I, I continued doing these fun things. And I thought, wow, like Jamie, and I couldn't internalize this at the time, but I felt like I belonged already. I didn't believe, I didn't behave, but I felt like I belonged. So much so that when Jamie invited me to go to a retreat with him, which was a weekend away in Erie where he said we're going to have so much fun and there's going to be a speaker talking about Jesus, I decided, sure, I'll go. As long as my brother and my friend Sean can go as well, I'll go. And so Sean and Nick signed up and they were going to come with me. But the day before we left, they remembered, conveniently, that they had a previous commitment to the JROTC program they were a part of. They had a ball or something that they couldn't make the weekend retreat. And so I went to my dad and said, Dad, I'm not going anymore. And my dad looked at me and said, I signed you up, paid for you to go. They said they're going to feed you. And if you stay home, I'm not feeding you. And very reminiscent to my three-year-old or my one-year-old right now, I laid on my bed and cried. I was a sophomore in high school. I said, Dad, I don't want to go. Like, there's not going to be anyone I know there. But then I remembered there was going to be someone I knew. There was this kid, Nate, that was in youth group. And one day during youth group, we were going around the circle sharing about our favorite bands or music artists. And everyone was saying, like, their favorite Christian artists. And it was one of those moments where I was like, yeah. I'm not going to do that. I don't even know any Christian artists. So I'm going to say Rob Zombie. Now, Rob Zombie was a big heavy metal guy, not a Christian artist. And I got a little shock and awe. But then this one guy said, his name is Nate, said, oh, I like Rob Zombie too. And I went, really? You're allowed to? And he said, yeah. And I said, okay, well, that's kind of cool. And I remember Nate was going on the retreat. So I said, okay, I'll continue going while well, I was forced to. But I, I agreed to it. And then we went on this retreat and we did have fun. And then on Saturday night, I was sitting 
and listening. And I had not done that probably since I was in VBS. I listened to the guy talking, and he spoke as if it was directly to me. He was talking about how God loves us even though we are flawed people. And I am still aware, I was then as well, of all the flaws that I have in my life. And so this was important to me, that God loves me even when I'm a sinner. God died for me before I did anything correct, before I did anything at all, and he wants to be in a relationship with me. He wants me to come to him and be united in the family of Jesus And I wanted that. I wanted to be with Jesus. I still do. And so the speaker gave this invitation to me and to anyone else that didn't know Jesus to come forward. Now, I looked over in the group that was with me. No one was budging. I think all of them already had trusted in Jesus. And so this was going to be me. It was my decision. I was going to go up alone. So I stood up and I walked forward. I knelt down. I put my hand up and I asked Jesus to be my Lord and my savior. And when that happened, I honestly, I felt this grip on my hand. And I thought a moment that it was the speaker coming over to pick me up. And so I look up and no one was there. And I knew in an instant, this was the Holy Spirit welcoming me into the family. And I look over and my youth group had gotten up and they were in a circle praying. And in my human flesh, my first thought was, oh man, they left me out. And and then my my second thought was to go and ask what was going on. And Jamie said that they were praying for me to trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior, which is incredible. And so I got to to go home and I continued growing from that moment. That, That weekend changed my life and I continued to grow closer to God. And those first days, weeks, months, years really were so pivotal in my my life. And Jamie Kendrew was able to walk alongside me. And I'm so thankful that he was a Barnabas in my life. And we don't talk too often nowadays. We Facebook messaged the other day. We're we're on good terms. He's working in a church. I'm working in a church. And we, we still care for each other. But I am forever grateful that Jamie was a Barnabas for those years in my, my youth that helped me be who I am today. Thanks, Alex. So what we're going to do today is we're going to see how the literal Barnabas came into Paul's life at a very crucial time because nobody believed that Paul had changed except for Barnabas. And it was Barnabas who got Paul welcomed into the leadership of the early church. And we're going to read about that right now. Um, Before we do that, we're going to do two things. So I'm going to share the take-home point. For those of you who are new, the take-home point is the one point we're going to make from this, this scripture that we want to live out in the week ahead. And here it is. Sometimes passing the baton is nothing more than transferring the change in our pockets to our successors and then mentoring and encouraging them. So as far as we can tell, Barnabas was never the upfront guy. Barnabas wasn't the preacher. It was Paul who was the preacher. Barnabas wasn't the one who everybody looked to for answers. It was Paul who they looked to for answers. But what Barnabas did, we already know how faithful he was, and we're going to actually read about that in a moment with the, with the resources that God entrusted to him. But Barnabas was all in for Jesus. And apparently he was able to see that Paul was too now. So he's going to help out there. So we're going to read about that right now in Acts 4, 36 to 37. It's what I already alluded to um, in our time of offering. It says this, For instance, there was Joseph, the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. As we see, Barnabas was a nickname, son of encouragement, a guy that would bring out the best in other people. 
We also see that he had generosity, which was typical of those in the early church, that they would give what they had so that other people could have some as well. As Pastor Chris mentioned, that whenever we have change in our pockets, what we can do is we can transfer that to other people. And passing the baton really comes down to that, passing on and transferring the change in our pockets to others. And it's cool because we see Barnabas do that both literally and figuratively. Literally, he sold a field and took the change from that and he gave it to the church leadership. And figuratively, we see that he went to Paul and he brought him into the fold of the, the early church family. He used and he leveraged really his reputation, the love, the care that he had to support Paul so that when Paul was coming in to the church that he tried to destroy, that he would be welcomed. So let's look at how Barnabas introduces Paul to the early church leaders. And before we do that, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for Barnabas, a man who was behind the scenes, a man who didn't get the spotlight, but one who, because of him, Paul got to be part of the church and ultimately wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. We know much of what we know about you because of Paul, but it wouldn't have ever happened without Barnabas. And so we pray today that where we can be Barnabas is to someone else's Paul, that we will do that. We pray that your Holy Spirit will show us the places where we can be Barnabas to others. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what we read is in Acts chapter 9, when Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. They did not believe he had truly become a believer. Then Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. So Saul stayed with the apostles and went all around Jerusalem with them, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. He debated with some Greek-speaking Jews, but they tried to murder him. When the believers heard about this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus, his hometown. It's crazy to, to look at that and see that the early believers tried to murder Paul, but as we look back, we can kind of understand why they did that. Now, Barnabas wasn't with them. He didn't, he didn't say that, oh yeah, Paul was still the old person that, that persecuted the church, but some of the believers thought that Paul hadn't really changed. Now, Barnabas, thankfully, saw through all of that stuff, and he noticed that Paul was being honest. And we can do that sometimes, right? Like, we can, you can kind of see through if someone's faking it, if someone's pretending, and Barnabas saw Jesus in and through Paul's life. But the early church leaders were a little wary, and it makes sense. Because if Paul was lying, if he was tricking everyone, it would have meant certain doom to the early church. If he was a spy that was going in there and he was infiltrating so he could learn all the church leaders and know who they were so he could tear it down from within, he might have been decently successful. And so they were nervous. But when Barnabas kept seeing Paul preach and, and share about the good news of Jesus, he knew that Paul had to have seen Jesus. He understood that the only thing that could have brought about the change in Paul's life was meeting Jesus. That was it. Because there's no other earthly reason why Paul would have changed his ways. 
Paul had fame and he had money and he had power, he had position. Anything that people fight for on this earth, Paul had. And he had it because he put in the work too. He rose through the ranks and he was a prominent Pharisee, someone that led the religious order. And so he had done all of this and he got to a certain point where what he said came true. He could say, I'm going to go and get these people and put them in jail. And people said, Okay, sure, go do that. And he was there when people were stoning believers and he was okaying it. He had all of this and he gave it all up. And the only reason why he would give all of that up is because he really believed that Jesus rose from the dead. Because what he was fighting against was people who believed that Jesus was who he said he was, that he was the Lord, that he was God's son and he rose from the dead. And then he saw Jesus being risen from the dead and being alive. And he went, oh, okay, this is true. And he changed everything. And he went and told people about Jesus. And this is why Barnabas put everything on the line, not only for him, but for the early church, because he saw this change in Paul's life. And I'm thankful for that. We should all be thankful for that because we have, like Pastor Chris prayed, two-thirds of the New Testament because Barnabas believed in Paul so much that Paul was able to continue his ministry. In the early church, bought into this. They understood finally because of Barnabas that Paul was who he said he was and he really met Jesus. And so the next scripture we're going to read is when the early church go and they commission Barnabas and Paul to go out and share the good news, the salvation about the risen Lord Jesus. And it's recorded in Acts chapter 13. Among the prophets and teachers of the church at Antioch of Syria were Barnabas Simeon, called the black man, Lucius from Cyrene, Manian, the childhood companion of King Herod Antipas, and Saul. One day, as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. So, after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. So Barnabas and Saul were sent out by the Holy Spirit. They went down to the seaport of Seleucia and then sailed for the island of Cyprus. There, in the town of Salamis, they went to the Jewish synagogues and preached the word of God. John Mark went with them as their assistant. So Barnabas and Paul, by this time, had become fixtures in the early church in Antioch. It was basically a Gentile church. But look at the leadership. These five names show us how diverse the early church leadership was. First, you have Barnabas and Paul. They're Jews. And and Paul wasn't just a Jew. He was a Pharisee. The Pharisees, we probably remember, were the ones that always were against Jesus. Ultimately, they're the ones who got Jesus arrested arrested and turned over to the Romans, and the Romans crucified him. So Pharisee, Barnabas a Jew, and now we have this first guy's name, is Simeon, right? Simeon was called the black man. I wonder why he was called that. Oh, he was a black man. So you had a black man. He was from Africa. He was a Gentile, and he had become a convert to the faith. And then you have Lucius, and Lucius was from Cyrene. Cyrene is in Africa. Might have been another black man. We don't know if he, what color he was, but we know he was an African, and he was part of the early church leadership. And then we have Menaean, probably the most unlikely of all, because Menaean was the childhood friend of Herod Antipas. The Herods, there were several King Herods. The first King Herod was the one who wanted to kill Jesus when he was a baby. Other King Herods came along, and they were all against the church. But Menaean, who had grown up in that environment, had become a believer in Jesus. And this group of five men did something incredible. They fasted. 
And they prayed and they worshiped God. And as they did, in the midst of that five-member group, the Holy Spirit spoke. And he said something that had never been said before. He said, appoint Barnabas and Paul for the special work to which I have called them. So the special work was the first evangelistic missionary Christian journey in the history of the world. Paul and Barnabas, called Barnabas and Paul here, right? Barnabas and Paul are going to go out and they're going to share the good news throughout the Middle East in a very hostile world. And really, the world changes as a result of that ministry. The interesting thing here, it says, appoint Barnabas and Paul for the special work. Now, if any of you have a Bible in the, that in the back of the Bible has a maps, if you look at those maps, you're going to see three particular maps. The first one's going to be called Paul's First Missionary Journey. The second one's going to be called Paul's Second Missionary Journey. Third one's going to be called Paul's Third Missionary Journey. Right? Where's Barnabas? It's not Barnabas and Paul's missionary journey. It's not even Paul and Barnabas' missionary journey. It's just Paul's missionary journey. What happened to Barnabas? Barnabas' name drops out. But if it wasn't for Barnabas and the special work that he had of getting Paul accepted into the church, there wouldn't be any Paul's missionary journey. None whatsoever. So all of us have a special work that God gives us to do. Paul's work ultimately is to preach boldly and to see people come to know the Lord and to write letters that become most of our New Testament. Barnabas' role is, as I said, support, to be there with Paul. And, you know, I, I remember there was a um, movie a long, long time ago when I was a little kid called Paul and Peter and Paul. And Barnabas and Paul have just been stoned in one of the cities where they like with rocks, you know, they've been stoned. And, and Barnabas turns to Paul and says, let's hope the stones are softer in Lystra. You know, I mean, Barnabas, you could just picture Barnabas saying that. I don't know if he ever really did say that, but you could picture him saying that. So in my life, one of the roles that the Holy Spirit has had for me for more than 35 years now is to serve as Barnabas to other people's Saul or Paul. I have been raising up leaders for all of these years, and that's going to become my special role over these next couple years. Right now, as I said last week, if you're here, this baton's in my hands for the next couple of years. It's going to be Pastor Chris and Pastor Alex. Pastor Chris and Pastor Alex. But then it's going to be Pastor Alex and Pastor Chris. Or, as I said last night, and I probably shouldn't have said this, I said, my role for the rest of my life is going to be Barnabas. And then after church, somebody said, can we just call you Barney because it's shorter? And I thought, okay, I have a new name. Everybody's going to be calling me Barney from now on. So our next encounter with Paul and Barnabas finds them in the middle of the biggest controversy in the early church. And the controversy is simply this. Do Gentiles, non-Jews, have to become Jews so that they can follow Jesus? Paul and Barnabas answered no, emphatically no. You don't have to do it. Eventually, a council of the early church leaders was called. And here's what happened in Jerusalem. It says, while Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch of Syria, some men from Judea arrived and began to teach the believers, unless you are circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. Paul and Barnabas disagreed with them, arguing vehemently. Finally, the church decided to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem accompanied by some local believers, to talk to the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent the delegates to Jerusalem, and they stopped along the way in Phoenicia and Samaria to visit the believers. They told them, much to everyone's joy, that the Gentiles too were being converted. When they arrived in Jerusalem, Barnabas and Paul were welcomed by the whole church, including the apostles and elders. They reported everything God had done through them. 
Everyone listened quietly as Barnabas and Paul told about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. Paul and Barnabas fought together, side by side. And I'm sure that they were thankful that they had one another because then they had to even argue vehemently for the truth because they knew that Jesus came and died for everyone. And so side by side, they combated the lie that people had to become Jews before they became believers. And this is a good reminder for all of us. I'm thankful today that I have a Barnabas, Barney, right here with me to, to help over these next couple of years. And, and I'm thankful that we get to live in community with one another because it's how we were designed to live. We're going to be speaking about that more next week. But right now we can know this. We get to partner, we get to partner with the living God as as well as fellow believers when we spread Jesus' truth. Paul and Barnabas had to do something very challenging. They had to call out people, probably people that they loved, for doing something that was against God's will. That's never easy. It's much easier to do it alongside someone else, especially in love when you can do that together. And so they, they combated it, they called out, they challenged in the truth of Jesus, and the early church leaders relented and they agreed that the blood of Jesus was all that it takes. The, the, the death and resurrection of Jesus is all people need to, to trust in him as Lord, as owner, and to be saved from their sins and death. And this is a great thing for us today too, because we get to celebrate that truth and we get to carry it on as well. Sometimes, however, we put ourselves back into the shoes of the church leaders who required more things for people to come to know Jesus. And now, we don't probably think in our heads, that person needs to become a Jew before they become a believer in Jesus. But sometimes we look at people and we say, man, they seem too far gone. That they have done too many things. That they have denounced their faith. They have walked away. Maybe they're in your family, in your friend circle, or at work, and they, they speak against God. And we think in our heads somewhere, maybe consciously, sometimes subconsciously, they won't come back. I've invited them so many times. They keep saying, no, they're not going to come to church. But here's the good news, that Jesus, his death and his resurrection was for all people. That no one is too far gone to come back to Jesus. That he is waiting and he is pursuing them and he is working in their lives. And he wants the people, no matter what they've done, no matter what we've done, no matter how far we run away, he is chasing after us and he wants to come in, into their, their lives and he wants people to come to know him as Lord and Savior. So as we think about people today, as we are going to be challenged to go and, and think and look at people to, that we can raise up as Paul's, let us remember the blessing that it is that Jesus died for us while we were still sinners, while we were enemies of God. He pursued us, and that is why we can come into this relationship and be with Jesus as part of his family. Now, it would be really great, I think, and, and Pastor Chris and I think, to end at that note. That's, that's a good note to end on. We, we even the, the last scripture we read was about wonders and miracles, and that's a great note to end on. However, we want to tell the whole story, the whole true story of Paul and Barnabas and their interactions. And unfortunately, it doesn't end so well. The last bit that we're going to read today is when Paul and Barnabas split ways and, and go separately and we have been learning so far about what to do by looking at a good example. And now we're going to learn from what not to do by looking at maybe not the best example. It's recorded in Acts chapter 15 and verses 36 through 41. It says, After some time, Paul said to Barnabas, 
Let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the new believers are doing. Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along John Mark. But Paul disagreed strongly since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. Their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose Silas, and as he left, the believers entrusted him to the Lord's gracious care. Then he traveled throughout Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches there. So one of the things we know about Paul, there's probably never been anybody who was more deeply committed to Jesus. Nobody who was more willing to do whatever it took to tell people the good news about Jesus' salvation. And it takes that kind of commitment, especially in a world like he lived, to continue. I mean, Paul was persecuted, he was in prison, he was beaten, he was shipwrecked, all of those things. So we have no doubt about Paul's commitment. But the one thing I've always wondered about, how is it that Paul, of all people, could not give John Mark a second chance? I mean, think about the second chance Paul got. Uh, He was persecuting the church, he was killing Christians. And yet when John Mark comes and says, I want to go with you, Paul says, no, it doesn't make any sense. And then Barnabas, always Barnabas, says, well, Paul, I disagree. In fact, I'll take John Mark with me. And Paul says, if that's what you're going to do, we're done. And Barnabas thought it was more important that John Mark, this young person who was needed a second chance, had a second chance than it was for him to continue with Paul. So Barnabas takes John Mark. And they go in their ministry. And we know it was a successful ministry. You know why we know that? Because John Mark isn't known to us as John Mark. He's known to us as Mark, who wrote the second gospel. In fact, could you imagine just having Matthew, Luke, and John? If there wasn't a Barnabas, that's what we would have. But there was a Barnabas. So we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And actually, even though it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Mark's gospel is probably the first gospel that was written. So Barnabas' impact brought about a gospel that we have in our scriptures. So what about Paul? Well, Paul didn't stop preaching about Jesus, and he took Silas. Paul had learned something from Barnabas. It's not enough to be by yourself. you got to have people that you're training up. And so Paul brought Silas, and first it was Silas, later it was Timothy, Epaphroditus. There's all of these people. You read through Paul's letters, he has all of these young men that he brought into the, the faith, and then he raised up as leaders. And that's what Barnabas taught Paul. Unfortunately, Paul didn't learn the second chance thing, at least not the first time. But at the end of his ministry, what does he say to Timothy? Oh, you can bring John Mark along. He's been very helpful to me. So there was a reconciliation. I like to think everybody was reconciled. So the end of the story, there's something very different um, about the real Barnabas and Paul and this Barnabas and Paul. In two and a half years, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not splitting up with this guy. We're going to still be partners in ministry. We're still going to be working together. And I hope I've lost the nickname by then. But, (laughs) but you can be sure that I will be encouraging him and encouraging other young leaders in this church and other churches as I've been doing for 35 years so far and will continue to do until Jesus calls me home or he comes back. Now, each of us has that same opportunity. That's really the key Really, next step that we can follow from this, I I want you to think right now in your life, somebody who's younger in the faith or just somebody that's younger, that's sort of maybe a Paul that you could reach out to. Who is there in your life right now who needs some encouragement, who maybe needs a second chance, 
or a fifth chance or a hundredth chance. Somebody in your life right now who is going the wrong way, and, and you can be the one that maybe encourages them. Or maybe somebody who has been going the wrong way came back, but nobody believes it and just needs somebody to believe in them right now. Who's that person? So here's today's next step. I will encourage those in the next generation to follow Jesus fully. You might be thinking to yourself that you can't encourage someone, that you're not a Barnabas, you're not even a Pastor Barney. You don't know <laughs> if you have the ability to do this, but I, we want to tell you that today that God has created you specifically, intentionally for a purpose. He has gifted you with skills for a reason to tell people about his good name, to, to partner with him in bringing his kingdom to earth, to go alongside people and raise them up. Know that you are in the situation that you are in right now for a reason. You have the friends, the family members, the coworkers, the classmates, the teammates for a reason. God has surrounded you with people. And there's someone around you right now that needs encouragement, that needs you to be that Barnabas to them. I'm so thankful that Jamie Kendrew came alongside me when I first gave my life over to Jesus, but I'm also thankful for my buddy Nate. Nate was a year ahead of me. Nate was the guy that liked Rob Zombie. Nate, I had learned on the retreat, had been a Christian his whole entire life. And so whenever I gave my life over to Jesus, he took me under his wing. Again, only a year ahead of me, but he encouraged me. He challenged me. He helped me to grow. And he still does to this day. We have a, a monthly accountability call. He came last Saturday to hear about the good news about the passing of the baton. And, and I even told him when he showed up, because he surprised me, you don't have to be here. I'm not speaking on stage. And he said, I don't care. I want to come and I want to encourage you, support you. And that's the Barnabas in my life right now. And I'm so thankful for that. So someone right now in your sphere of influence needs you to be that Barnabas, and God has equipped you. He's empowered you. He will continue to do that. He'll give you the words. He'll give you the courage. He'll give you the eyes to see who that person is as long as we say, God, come into me. Holy Spirit, speak to me. Show me who I need to be reaching out to today. And in someone's life, you can be that Barnabas and raise that person up. And who knows what they are capable of? Who knows what God has created them to do that you can help unlock so they can be part of the kingdom of God? Amen. So... Paul and Barnabas wanted everybody in the world to know Jesus. And that includes you, includes me. If you have not trusted Jesus as Savior and Lord in your life, Savior means rescuer from sin and death. Lord means owner. We say here at New Life, it's simple. It's not easy, but it's simple as A, B, C. A is admit. Admit that we're sinners. Admit that we're broken, that we need a Savior in our life. B, we believe that Jesus is who he said he is, that Paul preached, that Barnabas encouraged, that we talk about here at New Life every single week. Jesus is the Son of the living God. He is the Savior of the world. He is the Lord of all creation. And he wants to be Savior and Lord in your life. And then C, confess Jesus as Savior and Lord and commit to letting the Holy Spirit lead to change you from the inside out as he changed Barnabas, as he changed Saul a.k.a. Paul, as he changes each person who ever transfers ownership. One day, instead of passing on the things of this life, we're going to pass on from this life. And we need to make sure that when that day comes, we know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, today is the day to ask him to come into your heart and rule 
your life. If you would like to pray this prayer with me, go ahead and close your eyes and just repeat after me. Dear God, I admit that I am a sinner in need of a Savior, and I believe that Jesus is your Son, and that Jesus came down onto this earth and that he lived and died on the cross and rose on the third day, just like he said he would. And I confess that Jesus is my Lord and Savior and that I commit to following him with the power of the Holy Spirit every single day of my life. And I just thank you for this gift, Lord, that I can be assured that one day I will pass on into the next life with you. And I just love you and I praise you and I thank you in Jesus' name.